Hi, we're the Esquivel family. My name is Pat. My name's Rylan. And I'm Melissa. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is an ancient tradition in the church where we learn from the first come, coming of Christ in the nativity story, while at the same time we long for the second coming of Christ. As a church, we join in the long history of Christmas longing. We join the characters of the nativity story week by week leading up to Christmas. Then on Christmas Eve, we will celebrate together the birth of Christ, a candlelit worship service, and look forward to our Lord's return. Today, we light the candle of hope, also called yeah. the prophet's candle. This candle reminds us of the hope of the prophets. Throughout the full story of scripture, there were prophets who told of the coming Messiah, who would bring salvation and light to our broken and dark world. Picture this. The people have been waiting and longing for the Messiah for ages and ages. Their grandparents told them of the prophets that their grandparents shared with them. They learned of the longing from Moses and the law and the promise and the prophets. And then one day and longing became a now. The hope was now he was here. As Philip shared with Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. On this day, as we begin this Advent season and look forward to Christmas, let's join Philip in proclaiming, we have found him. Our hope is now on earth as it is in heaven. This Advent season, let's not miss this wonderful Christmas longing, taking every day as a day of hope and anticipation. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for being our hope. We ask Holy Spirit that you would help us hold fast to our hope and live this Christmas season as a people of hope. Remind us of the reality that our hope is now. Lord, I just want to declare I'm so happy it's Advent. So thankful that you give us this time of the year every year to reorient our hearts around your coming, around the incredible, profound, world-changing truth of the Son of God becoming flesh to save us. Oh, Spirit, we pray that you would speak we pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts. Pray, Lord, that the hope that we read about would comfort. I pray, Lord, that we would eat it, that we would be full. Have your way, Father. Let me pray. Amen. This morning, as we look at this first week in Advent, talking about hope, I want to talk about comfort hope. I've been thinking about, in particular, comfort food lately. I don't know about you, but I got to have a couple Thanksgivings this year, uh, three, actually, different Thanksgivings, and I think because last year with COVID and not getting to gather the way we did, we kind of went all out for Thanksgiving, and, and my pants are way tighter 
and I ate a whole bunch of food and had a whole bunch of this comfort food that just, it was just on all the turkey and the, the potato dishes and the, the cranberry sauce and I don't know about that green bean casserole, but that was there. And, and, we, and there's something about that that, that that we call this food comfort food. They say that, 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 that it can bring you comfort. It brings you back into these traditions, these, these dishes, these different pl- plates that we eat. And we come back time and time again to these comfort foods. But one of the challenges with these comfort foods, I don't know about you, they don't always bring me comfort. Matter of fact, oftentimes, um, they cause me to feel like going into a coma. Today, I, I, I believe on this Thanksgiving weekend, as we start Advent, we're gonna hear some comfort. We're gonna learn of a comfort that is something that we can truly eat, that will fill you to an overflowing truth. And it's, we see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. We're gonna be working our way through this and asking ourselves what does it mean to eat this comfort food. Now, you may be wondering, Logan, I'm used to Advent reading like stories of the nativity. Where's the shepherds? Where's, where's, where's the prophets? Where's, where, where's the stories of the Christmas? Why are we talking about the coming of Christ? Well, in ancient tradition, the church for a long time in Advent has, has this tradition of we join in the nativity stories. We will have the nativity stories in these messages. We'll even have a little bit of that today. But what we do in Advent is we reflect, as as Eddie prayed, on the incarnation, the first coming of Christ through his birth. And we join in that story and in those feelings and that longing and in that, that angst as we recognize that we long for his return that Christ promised us that he will return. And true Advent in its tradition is not just about the first coming of Christ, but about his return. And in our reading plan, we were reading through this week the book of Thessalonians. The book of Thessalonians is a book that was written to the church and there was a whole bunch of things going on. And in particular, in this chapter, there seemed to be a lot of debate in the church about the second coming of Christ. There was a lot of people saying, I know the day, I know the time, I know when this will happen, and Paul is writing in response to this. And as we read this, I believe that there's some really important truths for us as we think about hope. Because Christmas is a season of hope. As the great theologian from Home Alone, Kate McAllister said, this is Christmas. The season of perpetual hope. And I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike, if it costs me everything I own, I'm going to get home to my son. A season of perpetual hope. This is what Paul is getting at in this passage. And here we see, if you could, if you are in 1 Thessalonians, and we think about what it means to have this comfort hope, Look at what he says in verses 13 through 16. He says this. He says, we do not want you, 
He's talking to the church who's having all this debate about the second coming of Christ. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now this word for asleep, he's talking about those who have passed away, those who have died. If you remember the story of Jesus in the Gospels, he referred to a young girl who was asleep, and Jesus, by his power, resurrected this young girl we believe as Christians when those, those who have died, they actually do not die. Our theology says that they are merely asleep. So Paul is already saying something about the hope for those who have fallen asleep. He says, those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He's talking about their context in those days a pagan context where there seemed to be not a lot of hope for life after death. He says, for since we believe, he lands on this confession of the church. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he's talking not just about the nativity, he's saying Jesus died, there's the gospel, his, his death on Jesus paid it all and rose again. He is resurrected even so through Jesus Christ. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul's talking to the church, and they're having all these questions about the days and the times. And as he's referring them and responding to this issue, I think the first really important point for us to recognize here is we need to understand what the text is saying. Maybe the question is, is to ask, why is he writing this to the church? Many people use this text to talk about the intellectual understanding of the second coming. But here in this text, Paul is not writing about the second coming as like a theology class. He's writing for comfort. He's writing because at this time, the Thessalonians church are losing brothers and sisters, grandmothers and grandparents, mothers and fathers, friends, they are dying and probably from persecution. And there's all this question about what, what is going to happen, and there's probably a lot of discouragement, probably a lot of loss. And as I think about this, I think of our last couple years here. I think of those brothers and sisters, family members in our church who we have lost. And even though we love this Advent season and we love the Thanksgiving season, this is also a very heavy time. 
which is also a really hard time. And Paul here is writing a word of comfort to you. He's writing a word. He's giving you some comfort food. And this is food that is meant to fill you. And in this text, he's telling the church, says you don't need to grieve like others around you do. The hope here is comfort. And the comfort is because we are a people of the resurrection, right? When we do the Apostles' Creed, we, we believe, we confess that we are a people that believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul says, we believe this to be true. Thanks for that amen. And in verses 15 through 16, Paul starts to get at a little bit of how this works. He, he talks about the saints and he uses this imagery, this, he uses a, a, what is happening at this time of a procession. You see, at that time, in that culture, when, there was, when, when, when a king or somebody would come and they would, they would conquer a city and they would return back to their realm, as they were returning to their realm, the people, the, the, the citizens of the king would go out and they would greet the king. And they would bring, and they would join him in coming back into the city. And here Paul is talking about this procession and he's saying when Christ returns, when he comes home, The first thing that is going to happen here in the passage, he says, is the saints, those who are asleep, and he's talking to the Thessalonian church about those who have asleep, and he's also talking to you and I, to those that we have lost. He's saying they will rise. They will join the king. And this is an incredible, they will be towards the front in a place of high honor. He says that there's this order to this. There's a comfort here that he wants you and I to know about those who, have, who we have lost. There's an honor for the saints. And then some very controversial verses in verses 17 through 18, you see our part to play. He says this, he says, then we who are alive, we are in the already not yet time, longing for his return who are left, it says, we will be caught up together. This language here, this word, is a word called parousia. It is related to the coming, and all in different places, it always refers to in, in scripture about the coming of a person. We see the word here, you would see this as the rapture. This is where this teaching comes from. Now, there's a whole bunch of debate about the rapture. There's kind of three different places you could, you could land. In scripture, in Revelation chapter 20, it tells us that Christ will return and he will reign for a thousand years. And, and there's a lot of question and debate about, okay, when Christ comes and he returns, when will that reign be? And there's some who believe that the church will be, will be raptured up before or after. And there's a whole bunch of debate about, we got post-millennialism, amillennialism, pre-millennialism. I would love to get into that, but Paul's not getting into that here. And so to preach the text faithfully, I don't think we should get into that here. 
I would encourage you to go and study that and learn that. But here, Paul is writing for comfort. And what he wants the church to know is that Jesus will return. He wants the church to know the comfort food that those who are dead or dying, they will be with Jesus. They are with Jesus. I love this from uh, Beverly Gaventa in, her, in one of her commentaries. My friend Wes shared this with me. I thought it was so good. He said, Paul uses theology for comfort food. At first glance, it might seem odd. An examination of most any order of worship for a funeral service will confirm, however, that the strategy has proved lasting. Perhaps that is because we too know that death is the implacable enemy. And it is comforting to remember that death is not only our enemy, but God's. The promise that God has already began to triumph, that finally God will prevail, making the otherwise unbearable somehow bearable. This is the comfort of, of Christ's second coming. And so here, it seems to me, we can get all sorts of imperatives in scripture and in sermons. You always wanna say, well, what do we do with this? Well, I love it when the text tells us what to do with it. And this is the first point as we think about comfort hope. And the point is this. We have this comfort hope, so encourage with it. Look at what Paul does with it. He says here, he says, therefore, in light of this comfort hope, this comfort food, encourage one another in community with these words. I love this word, encourage. Webster Dictionary, one of the definitions says, encourage is to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. We are to be a people who encourage one another with this comfort, hope. We talked about this at the Thanksgiving service. One of the things that I love here at Cornerstone is oftentimes, sometimes I, I, I love to sing together. And there are some times when I get a little overwhelmed or I just don't feel like singing. And at that moment, if I was singing by myself, there would be silence. But in the ecclesia, the gathering of the people, I am surrounded and overwhelmed with the singing of my brothers and sisters who are comforting me with the hope. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. This is what happens, not just on Sunday mornings, but in community, in community groups, and, and in the, the life of the church. We are a people who encourage one another with the comfort hope. So the first thing as you think about this comfort hope is to encourage. Perhaps on this Lord's day, God is putting it on your heart to encourage somebody. Perhaps, maybe, to say, you know what? Advent season is here, I'm gonna make it a point every day to say something encouraging to somebody. I'm gonna write a note, I'm gonna send a text, I'm gonna give a phone call. But to encourage with the gospel hope of eternity. And so we see here that Paul is exhorting the church to encourage one another with it. Look on what happens next though, he doesn't stop there, he says this. Chapter five, 
says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape, but you are not in darkness. Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the light or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So Paul is saying here, don't just encourage He's reminding them, he's telling them, now you're having all this debate about the days and the seasons. He says, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you remember in Matthew 24, Jesus talked about it. He said, you will not know the days, but you should be ready. He does not say, be ignorant, ignorance or apathy. My brother told me this joke this week, I thought it was really good. He said, what is the difference between ignorance and apathy? Don't know, don't care. (laughs) Paul is saying that is not our response to the second coming of Christ. It's not a don't know, don't care. It's that he is coming and we are a people who believe this every day. So not only do we encourage, hear this, letter A, we anticipate. I love this. I love this because we already have this feeling, this Christmas longing from Christmas. We look forward to Christmas morning. We look forward to seeing what's under the tree. We look forward to Christmas Eve and lighting all the candles and remembering the light of the world. And we grab this longing and we say, this is the longing that we look forward. That's just a little taste of the eternity that we get when the church is together with this wonderful longing. So the comfort hope, we should encourage with it and we should anticipate with it. We should anticipate with it. And it's an anticipating that knows Jesus paid it all. You see, we are on this side of the cross. We know death has been defeated. We know our sin is paid for. We know the end. It's like watching the greatest Christmas story, Die Hard. That is all, in that story, it's pretty rough. But in this movie, I know the end. I know that the good guy wins in the end, when all seems lost. And for us, brothers and sisters, we are a people are encouraged and we are a people of anticipation. I've been thinking about what it means to live with hope. I love what Melissa and Patrick shared with us, that hope is now. Hope is not then. Hope is now. Hope is today. Hope is right now in this moment. We are encouraged with this hope and we anticipate with this hope. What does it look like for you on this Advent season to live with this anticipation? Finally, 
It's not just encouraging, it's not just anticipating. Look at what Paul does in verse seven through 11. He says this. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we, brothers and sisters of the church, belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. This is a call back to Ephesians, putting on the full armor of God. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Friends, there's a whole bunch in our mind that we're battling with. Anxieties, struggles, depression. I love that Paul here is saying the hope of salvation is the helmet. As I think about that, this is one of my greatest struggles is my mind is constantly thinking ahead of what is next, constantly thinking about all the things that could be done better or all the things I'm missing out. We call it FOMO. Paul here saying, no, you are a people that put on the hope of salvation, the assured hope of salvation. Says this, for God, look at the confidence here. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're alive or dead, we might live with him. Therefore, here's this word again, encourage. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I love there that he says just as you are doing. I think way too often in the church, we, we read these texts and we just think, man, we're really bad at this. We don't do any of this. And Paul here's writing to the church and he's saying, actually, you've been singing the songs, doing the studies, saying the prayers, reminding yourself of the gospel every day. You are encouraging, you are anticipating. Keep doing that. Don't get tired of that. Keep on. And so not only are we a people that as we think about eating this comfort hope that we are encouraging with it, we are anticipating with it, hear this, we're also training with it. Paul's telling them, put on the armor. This, in, this anticipates battle. This anticipates a struggle. And we know that until the return of Christ, we are in a battle. We long for his return, but we do not, but we, we do not battle flesh and blood. We battle the heavenly realms. It's really interesting going back to when Paul is talking about the rapture. It says that he will come in the clouds. From our full story, we know that whenever we see clouds, that's a hyperlink to the very presence of God. We remember Mount Sinai. We remember the story of Exodus when the cloud was with the people protecting them. We remember the transfiguration when Jesus is with the clouds. 
We remember the baptism which we read today when out of the clouds the Father says, this is my son with whom I am loved and whom I am well pleased. And then it says that we will come up and we will meet him in the air. The air, most scholars that I read in the commentary say this is talking about this belief that the principalities, that the evil spirits, that the battle would happen in the air. And so Paul here is saying the very presence of God, the cloud, he, we, he will come and we will meet him in the earth. He will wage war in that space. Remember in Genesis 3 when it said the seed of the woman would come? He will bite the heel of the seed and he will crush the head. Satan, this is what we would call Christus Victor. A final victory of what Christ has done. We see this here. So as you reflect on this, church, on this Lord's Day, my hope is that you don't miss this. Sometimes we get so caught up in like all of the trappings of Christmas that we forget that hope is now. And this Christmas, let's be a people that eat it up. Eat, E-A-T, encourage, participate, train. Encourage, participate, train. E-A-T, encourage, anticipate, train. Let us be a people with a comfort hope of the coming of Christ is something that we eat every day. Something that we can never get enough of because his grace is sufficient. As you think on this, I'm reminded just this last two weeks ago, I got to sit with dear saints in our church, the Smith family. I got to sit in a hospital room with Wendy, Greg, and Brittany, and Eric, and their families. As Wendy was in the final moments of her life here on earth. And I remember in that moment feeling this incredible sacredness and heaviness and comfort as we sang Amazing Grace. As we prayed, Jesus, we give her to you. I just know for many of us, we've lost some loved ones. Some of us just this week, hope is now. Hope is for you right now. Hope is this minute. This is, we are a people of faith. Faith says, I believe this. Hope is now. And I know for some of us that is scary. I pray that God would speak and that his hope of salvation would be the helmet for us as we reflect on these truths. So eat it up. I wanted to close. One of the great traditions of Advent is to remember the story of the nativity and to join in that longing as we eat it up. So I wanted to read of two prophets. Two prophets who had been waiting with a hope that was now and experienced the very presence of God. If you could, I wanna read this over you. 
And if you could, would you just close your eyes and just imagine? I want you to join in this longing here. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting, hoping, I would say eating, for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, they marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting, longing for the redemption of Jerusalem. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be a people that would join Simeon and Anna and the prophets in longing for your return, but knowing you have come. I pray, Lord, that, that this promise that Paul says, that, that we would put on the helmet of salvation, I pray, Lord, that we would experience this. Lord, I know that for many of us, our struggles in our own minds, and for many of us, we won't ever overcome those struggles here on earth. I pray that you would give us hope that you will one day Heal all of that. Lord, I pray for those who have lost loved ones. I pray for those who are anticipating memorial services or thinking about this. I pray, God, that the comfort hope that we read about in Thessalonians would be just that. You promise a peace that surpasses understanding. You give us a hope. I pray, Holy Spirit, I can't do that, only you can. I pray that you would give an incredible comfort 
I pray, God, that we would be a people that live with the hope that is now. And God, in this moment, there may be some who are watching online or here in this room that have never put their faith in you. I pray, God, this Advent season, on this Lord's Day, that they would put their faith in you, that they would simply pray this prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of grace. And I believe that you have given it to me. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again, that you are my king and my savior. I believe in you. I pray, Lord, that you give me that hope for this moment. We pray this together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.